Welcome to the dark forest. Jack and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a it's Jackie Cation, and welcome to the Dork Forest. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com. Uh, the, the credits. I don't know why every time I sound surprised that I'm going to do the credits. Uh, Patrick Brady will fix this audio. Vilmos fixes the website. And Mike Rickberg just sang that song you heard. He's going to sing again at the end. Good for him. And... There's merch. There's always merch and donation buttons, and it's all happening at JackieCation.com and DorkForest.com. It's downloadable on iTunes. Feel free to review it. Feel free to put a comment on DorkForest.com per episode. And sitting, well, sort of with me, uh, is Joel Hodgson. I'm collecting the whole set for Mystery Science Theater 3000. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy (laughs) to be here. Excellent. Excellent. I am behaving like I am actually in a, on a set on a couch with you, so I'm a little bit afraid. I'm a little right? bit worried about being on camera. So yeah, it is a little- I got, we got to just talk and get it rolling, and then I'm sure I'll lighten up. I won't get so worried. Right. Don't be worried. Yeah. Don't be worried about not being in my house in Van Nuys. <laughs> don't be too nervous about it. And uh, right, this is the second episode I'm doing via Skype because I don't. I'm not very good at it. So I'm I'm like all right we'll give it a shot but I want I we have never met you and I no I just know I just know people you know and vice we, versa we, yeah yeah because we're both Minneapolis comics essentially yeah yeah all right I'm old Excited. school though what uh, does that mean that you hung out with KRS one and and yeah exactly. Well, Excellent. And uh, uh, I was there with uh, Curtis Blow. And, oh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, we were laying down some. I'm, <laughs> this is going to fall apart really quickly because I don't know that much about <laughs> rap. Uh, funky fresh, uh, funky fresh rhymes. And um, I, I want you could do Husker Du references. Yeah, absolutely. That's my wheelhouse. Anything from. That kind of era of um, Minneapolis rock, I was there. I lived it, man. Did you Did you actually go see guitar rock in music? Oh yeah, and you know what's Apes. funny? I um, I lived in. I mean, I had a warehouse space in that warehouse, the Rossmore Building in St. Paul, where Husker Du used to practice. Grant Hart had, oh, really? had a, a studio in there. And the whole album, the warehouse, the photos are, are of my warehouse space, the warehouse space I shared with my brother, Jim. <laughs> so I was there, man. And also, um, I was there. I lived it. And um, I saw uh, um, the other thing that was peculiar was the other warehouse I lived. I, I didn't live in. I keep saying I lived in. There were a lot of people living in the warehouse, but I wasn't one of them. And... Um, the uh, it was the Colonial Warehouse and the, and the replacements practiced in there. Oh really? Yeah. So well, I, and I'd you you just Tom, used it as an Tommy. Art. Yeah, this is when I was making my uh, robot sculptures that kind of went on to be mystery theater sculpture or robots. And that's where Chip Malone be my partner for Mystery Sites Theater. He had a space in the Colonial. And that was right across the street from the Monte Carlo and then uptown, or not uptown, but downtown. Do you know where the Monte Carlo is? And 
I do, um, and I, I found out what that sandwich was. Hey, Joel, you're crackling rose on me. You're going a little Neil Diamond on me. Uh, you mean my microphone? Yeah. How about now? Is it? Is it bad? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, Talk for a I little. always. How about now? Is it okay? <laughs> yes. Okay. I was for just, that sentence. I think I was getting ready to pour some tea, and I think I might have changed my position. Let me just try it here. I'm going to pour some tea now. Yeah, pour some tea. Come on. I'm going to have some iced coffee. Wade in. Mm-hmm. I'm wading in. That's it. You might you might be far from your Wi-Fi receptor, which might be a fascinating topic for Rangers of the Dork Forest to hear about. That could be. You just let me know if it goes bad, and I'll move inside. I'm out back right now. Okay. You know what I like? Um, is You know what I missed was, who was your partner that you were making robot oh, puppets? Oh, uh, yeah. I was just saying that Jim Mallon, who's the guy... Um, that I, I I was partnered with to make Mystery Science Theater. We met at the Colonial Warehouse, and that's, oh, okay. that's I'm just painting a picture of the scene. And uh, you and uh, this is going way back. Uh, I remember uh, I was unloading stuff on the on the, on the um, you know the loading bay, and Chan right. Pauling, who's the guy from the suburbs, was there. So that's just wow. an, a glimpse of this a whiff of the air that was happening back in the day in Minneapolis. <laughs> I'm trying to get a mental image of how it felt to me in the Colonial Warehouse. Yeah, you may need to move inside. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Okay. You want to start over, or is this okay? It's okay. I can piece piece it together. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Let me think about this. Let me figure out how to do this, because I have to go. I can't carry my computer and my key. Right, right. At the same time. Hold on. I'll be right back. I'm going to get my key. Pardon me. And we're back. How about now? Oh, that sounds actually really good, if that's all right by you. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I I like the idea of of you being in that building. Is were you so you were making? Put was that an artist studio? Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, I like. You know, I think for a time this is. Uh, I'm trying to think what was happening. Yeah, this is prior to Mystery Science Theater, and I had. Uh, my brother was a studio artist. His name is Jim Hodson, and he um, got a – he found this warehouse space in the Rossmore Building in St. Paul, and mm-hmm. uh, right across from Pedro's luggage, though I hear they're moving. <laughs> and, um, right. and, um, and we shared that space. So I was building stuff. I was kind of uh, – I had quit doing stand-up, but I was kind of messing around – yeah. Uh, still making stuff and thinking about getting back into it and just kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And I think, this, this, yeah. What, you, what year was this? Go ahead. What, Man, uh, was I, that like 86 or? I can't even tell you, but it would be something like that. It would probably be, um, yeah, like 85, 86, right? Just like a yeah. year or two before Mystery Science Theater started. All right. So, yeah, because you guys started, and then I moved there in '90. So mm-hmm. you guys were already established, and 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 it was a, it was sort of it was already a neat thing that that people, because I, I met Mary Jo Peel doing stand up comedy, and oh dang it, 
Well, would have been nice if I would have prepared for this because I met one of your other writers uh, from the early days Paul? who did stand up. Paul Thurston. <laughs> that doesn't sound oh really yeah, the worst. I know. Anyway, let's just gloss over this. If I don't, if I can't remember the name I know, of the comic, I'm trying to find that elegant thing where you, when you forget some. I mean, people have some really nice ways of like they're trying to conjure a name, and then it's like, oh, whatever. Uh, it's not important. Right. There's got to be some really elegant way because it, it's funny when I can't remember a name and you just so want it. You know what name yeah. I always forget is the name Albert Brooks. I have to go back and remember that his original name was Albert Einstein, and that helps me get Albert Brooks back in my mind. It's really? really weird. I cannot remember his name. So when people say, hey, did you see Defending Your Life with that guy? And you're like, I love that guy. Well, who was he? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I have to sing happy birthday to Albert Einstein to get to Albert Brooks. Oh. <laughs> I like that. You'd be surprised how often his name comes up. I would be surprised. Yeah. Not that I, because Defending Your Life is one of my favorite movies, but. Yeah, it's great. It's my it's, favorite Albert Brooks movie, I think. Oh, it's easily my favorite. Yeah. I like Mother, which a lot of people don't like. Yeah, I didn't see it. It's uh, it's with um. Oh, Debbie really? Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I saw clips of it. I really, you know. But defending there's a, there's, life, and also broadcast news is so great. But is that an Albert? That's not an Albert Brooks it, movie. No, he was just in yeah. it, and. And it's a Captain Uncomfortable movie. He plays that guy. You know, he plays the oh, super uncomfortable guy. Great in that. Yeah. Did you ever work with Heart of the Beast puppet people? Uh, no, but uh, they were around. And actually, it's funny you mention that because um, <laughs> early on with uh, Mystery Science Theater, that was one of my influences i thought i was trying in my own like way to seem together like how would i do a tv production this is before mystery science theater i really right. knew nothing about tv but this was at the very beginnings of a wanting to do a show where you movie riff you know where there's public yeah. domain movies i knew that there were public domain movies that could be real you know licensed very inexpensively and that was kind of my whole theory and okay. my first idea was this thing called You Are Here, and it was um, it was about um, um, it was kind of like that segment in um, in in the movie Omega Man, where Charlton Heston's going, "Look at all the people!" You know, he's in the he's in the theater and he's watching Woodstock, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like. Um, and I thought it would be like that, but part of this was this, the story was this, it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic show where the bomb has gone off and this guy kind of lived alone. He had built a robot to watch movies with him. Right. And the creatures, I was th thinking, you know, I was just writing this all down and, and I remember writing, oh, Heart of the... Part of the Beast Puppet Theater, they I could use their big puppets as this as these kind of threat yeah. creatures. You know, it's just my own way of trying to how do I seam it together and make a show with production that didn't cost much money. And so, right, I definitely remember those guys around at parades and. Um, 
They're the only puppets I know of. Just, I mean, they, they were my first introduction to puppets from, you know, from when people would have like finger puppets when you're a kid. And then they were the only adult puppeteers I'd ever even heard. <laughs> right, right. I was like, Minneapolis is weird. Why do they have adult puppeteers? And then, of course, I began to realize that's the coolest thing ever, that they love puppets. and They're going to freaking make puppets whether you give a shit or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the what's the big parade that's kind of the you know may day is it may day it is it's may 1st um, uh yeah yeah and isn't there a park like powderhorn park isn't there a mm-hmm. powderhorn park parade or something or is that where may I day they, is that's where may day is and they okay. all go there and they and they have these giant puppets they work it's they're more like marionettes except for with sticks and yeah, stuff yeah yeah exactly and um i do remember them and i and i really liked um you know, their method, they had a really great style, which was really... Of making puppets yeah, or the kind making, of they made? making puppets, and they they kind of had this unified style where it was a lot of paper mache, and then you just got this picture of lots of temper paint. But but they did okay. it so much that they really had, you know, whoever was doing that back then was cultivating this style that really worked great. It was it was kind of like stuff that would look like it was done by sixth graders, but much more sophisticated. <laughs> right? You know, yeah, it was really yeah. cool. I liked yes. it. I liked it a lot, and and um, and I do. What made you? Yeah, go ahead. What made you make your own puppets? Oh, you know that goes way back. I um, I got into uh, when I was a kid. I got into ventriloquism, and um, really, yeah, I got into ventriloquism, and I. It was very peculiar, you know. I grew up like in a Baptist church, and they were always like, you know, it's about ev- it was about evangelism, you know, it was about how do right. you tell people the Jesus story? How do you entice kids and like get them? How do you make it current? You know, it's kind of right. like, and so they were always like looking for stuff, and um, for some reason, this thing came to our house, which was this like invitation to 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 get to learn ventriloquism from the really? the Fred Mayer School of Ventriloquism <laughs> and um and uh, it was fascinating it was kind of like it was kind of like I was always really curious about it uh actually yeah. on channel 3 in Madison there was a guy yeah. named Howie Olson, and he was a ventriloquist, and he had a show called Circus Three. It's Howie Olson and Cowboy Eddie, and so wow. I grew up like watching that and really liking that, and thinking, "Yeah, ventriloquism's great." You know, <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. You never thought, because I remember as a kid just thinking how creepy it was, but I think it came out when when a, there was a slew of horror movies where the puppets were real. I think, I think that's in there, yeah. I think it's that part of that recipe that's in Uncanny Valley where <laughs> you kind of go, yeah, they look like people, but there's something a disturbing. And uh, yeah. I kind of got past that, but um, yeah. and I just was fascinated with it because... Um, I just I just liked it that it was it was whenever a ventriloquist came on 
TV, you just knew it would be fun, you know, as a kid. Anytime you saw a puppet on TV, you knew that, oh, this is for me, you know. It's mm-hmm. kind of like when I, you know, I'm 52, so it's kind of like, you know, TV was was so gen- genuinely dull for most of the day. It wasn't right. like segmented like it is now where you have a channel that's just for cartoons or a channel that's right. just for kids. It was just three channels. They were all pretty much the same. And you'd be, you, 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 it could be really dull for a really long time. And so anytime you saw somebody with a puppet, it was like, oh, this is for me. This is something I can like relate to. And so it was a kid thing. Yeah, it was yeah. a kid thing. And so I think anytime you saw somebody with a ventriloquist, it's like, I think kids, when you're a kid, when you're five years old or six years old, adults are, are mostly boring to you, mostly dull. <laughs> but when a when an adult walks in and they're holding a ventriloquist dummy, suddenly it's interesting. Suddenly that adult is interesting. And okay. so I think that's the way my brain was working back then. I just think that I thought, yeah, ventriloquism is great. And I liked it. I was fascinated by it. And I liked it that um, – that it, it was kind of like you could do a show and all you needed was that one puppet. Like if you were the Muppets, you'd need a hundred puppets, you know, but if you were a ventriloquist, you just need to, you just need to figure out how to get that one puppet right. and you're good. You got it. You're done. And so that became kind of a journey for me. And the way it started was getting this like invitation uh, to to join the Fred Mayer course to take it, yeah. and there was a ten lesson course, and then there was the forty lesson master course. Did you take the forty well, lesson master? It started with the ten lesson course, and it was it might have been ten dollars or five dollars or something. And okay. I really liked it, and I was surprisingly good at it. Like I really practiced. I really did. You take it. Yeah. Via the the mail? Yeah, how, absolutely. How it was a correspondence course. And, oh, and Joel, I, I have another question. Yeah. Um, I can hear you fiddling with something. Um, yeah, yeah what, could, what is that? Hold on. Uh, it could be that I have one of my earphones out. Does that sound any better? It could be that the microphone is just rubbing when I move my head. <laughs> right, but you should be able to move your head. So I should be. We'll deal. I'm sitting back and relaxing, and so I'm not sitting in the usual posture. Right, I have a I, I have an icicle plugged into a a, a Shure C606 uh, plugged into my USB port of my. Wait, so it was an offer in the back of like a magazine or something? Well, listen, there. The, this is this is going to sound familiar because yeah. they. They would advertise in Boy's Life. They would advertise in comic books. So it's likely you saw the same ad. And I'd seen the same ad, but just that they were deliberately sending it to my house and they had kind of made it. It took all the mystery out of it. It's kind of like you, when you're a kid, you're kind of led to believe that anything you send away for is fake and wrong and it won't work out. Like, cause, cause you're inundated when you're a kid with all these ads, the Johnson Smith catalog, all these offers right. to send in money, 50 cents in the Kool-Aid package and you get something and it never seems to work out. Or if it does, it takes so long for it to get to you that, yeah. that I think it's just kind of like it's you know it's just like you kind of get kind of like 
like it's not going to work out. I'm not going to invest in this. I'm not going to send the 25 cents for the catalog. (laughs) Right. But because it got sent to my house, um, it, it was different. And, and I'm not even sure if it was sent to my house. It could have been that, um, somebody gave it to my dad at church and knew that I was like interested or knew something about me. Somehow it got to me and it just opened up this world where suddenly I sent away for this thing and I got the catalog and it was like, wow. it showed all these ventriloquist, professional ventriloquist dummies and it was just like, um, ambrosia to me. I'm going, Oh <laughs> man, I cracked the code. This is what right. the pro ventriloquists are this is where they're getting their dummies and yeah. uh, it was incredible and I was like um, you were like 10 or something yeah I probably I guess um, yeah something like that I guess 9 or 10 Joel, fourth grade was that where they were getting their dummies the professionals you'd be surprised yeah 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 you think so yeah, yeah. I think so and um I mean, listen, you know, it's a slippery slope for a professional ventriloquist, <laughs> right? It's right? like oh, no. a lot of demarcations along the way that either they're saying you're a pro now or you're not a pro, you know. And 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 I no. and so but but yeah, truly you could um buy a dummy and some of the dummies, well, that it was weird because it really played with my aesthetic sense because there were a lot of dummies that gave me the reaction that you had, which are, these are horrible and frightening. Okay. And then there's a few dummies, a very few that you go, somebody did this right. These are nice-looking dummies, and this, this creates an illusion. This is kind of believable that this character could be talking. But you had to sift through so many images to kind of find that. And then when you'd find those dummies, they were prohibitively expensive. They were like $800, you know, So it was just like ridiculous. Like, oh, yeah, I found where these dummies are coming from. But I never, I mean, to me, to be 10 years old and go, you have to come up with $800. Just yeah, that's, forget it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not happening. And so I think uh, what I ultimately did was uh, after the 10-lesson course, I, I also had my first experience with writing because they did a vent. A ventriloquist is called a vent. You know, they call each other vents oh. when they get together with each other, when they have their fraternal awesome. their fraternal gatherings. Yes. They say, that guy's a good vent. That guy's oh. a shit vent. That guy don't know <laughs> shit. No, I don't oh, know what man. they say, but it, but it's kind of like you call them a vent. And, um, and so, uh, is there, is there like a, a ventini, like, you know how, like, the, there's no word that can get under my skin more than the word comedian. And, um, so I wonder if there's some sort of lady ventriloquist word that call you could just. Comedianettes. Comedian, comedian. You know, you know who's a, uh, um, Tom Conti's daughter. Tom Conti, actor from Great Britain, right? British yeah. actor. His daughter, uh, oh, Naomi, maybe? Nina. Nina. 
Nina Conti. Very, she is a very interesting story. She's doing one of my bits. What? It's crazy. Yeah, this is kind of like... Um, With your blessing? It, well, I'll tell you. Let me tell you the story. Oh, it's it's, it's kind of... It's kind of unbelievable, this story. <laughs> I, um, you know, it's funny because a lot, this is a lot of the stuff is fresh in my memory because I just did a thing in L.A. at CineFamily. And I'm working on this show where I kind of talk about, um, you know, kind of like uh, I'm kind of telling my story, my creative life from the time I'm like six years old until like oh, mystery okay. science theater, you know. So it's kind of like all this background stuff of why. How, Dork Forest is getting a glimpse on yeah, that. Yeah, you're kind of seeing it. So that's why it's kind of fresh on my memory. But 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 the thing that the thing that's so weird about this whole thing is. Uh, in the story, I talk about basically the first set of, of slides is what I call uh, phase one, uh, my search for the ultimate ventriloquist dummy. And so mm. it's kind of like this story of looking at dummies. And, and, I, and, I, and in slide form, it's very crazy because you see these images of these dummies that are all frightening. They're every single, even the best dummy in the right situation is terrifying. So, yeah. so there's no way around that. And so I, I also, there's an aesthetic thing at work where you're kind of going, as a kid, you're going, I mean, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to get a dummy that's ugly, that looks like he's malformed. <laughs> I'm not right. going to do that. And the little dummies that they sell, like, you know, like your typical, like Charlie McCarthy or Mortimer Snurd dummies, they're just for kids. You know that because their heads don't turn and they're just like dolls that their mouths move and you can't do a convincing ventriloquist routine with them. So okay. you're, you're sitting there going, how can I solve this problem? And what I ultimately did was um, I found this character which was called a crazy bird which was $50 which I, I was able to get the money together and I think my parents helped me yeah. pay for half of it like it was kind of like a Christmas present like I I ponied up as weird as it yeah. sounds we just didn't have that much money and it was like 50 bucks was over the limit for like Christmas so my folks said well listen if you really want this this will be your Christmas present we'll throw in 25 bucks you throw in 25 bucks and oh. uh, we'll meet at the we'll meet at the Christmas party and you know <laughs> that'll be that right. you know shake hands and we won't see each other again for a <laughs> <of time>. no <laughs> so anyway um <laughs> the, the the thing was, is I got this figure, you know, that's another insider term for a dummy. You don't call him a dummy, you call him a figure. Okay. It's a vent figure. When you're talking to another guy or another woman who's a ventriloquist, you go, that's a nice vent figure, or that's a shit okay. figure. That, right. that vent figure doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. You know, that's the <laughs> kind of conversation that happens. And... um and so I, it's a harsh world. It is, it's a harsh it's, world. It's harsh when they get drinking, those ventriloquists, and they don't have their dummies with them. It's just like, who are these people? And um, so, so I found this figure that was a like a, a bird. He kind of looked like a penguin, and I got him. And I called him Socrates. 
and he had like um, he was green and gold, like Packer colors, right? Because I lived in Green yeah. Bay, and mm-hmm. so um, and so I went with that, and it kind of worked because it was almost like a compromise. Like, well, I don't think I could ever manage finding that perfect. I can't afford a good enough ventriloquist dummy to really have a dummy, but because this is like, it's kind of changing the modality of the way you look at a dummy. It's like a bird. It's a, it's kind of like a plush toy. His eyes move and his mouth moves and his head turns. It's kind of believable. I'm making this little puppet talk. And, um, the other thing that was a big concern for me, was I didn't want to do ventriloquism with something people may have seen before. Meaning when I'm in, let's say I'm in sixth grade or fifth grade and I'm like going, well, if people are hiring me for a party, if I'm holding a doll, they're going, what, what am I paying for there? You know, they want some production. So I knew <laughs> nice. that I, yeah, I knew that I had to do something that, you know, that's part of the surprise of performers is, oh, you're showing them something that they haven't seen. Yeah, they haven't seen before. So this kind of solved it. And in the context of my story, I, I kind of show that uh, this this little penguin was really important because the way he's built is the way I built all the puppets for Mystery Science Theater using a head stick. It's like typically all the puppets up to that point were like done like the Muppets. The Muppets were like the coin of the realm. It was the biggest thing in the okay. world. Every puppet was like a Muppet. You put your hand in it. And, and, yeah. and so I deliberately thought that I liked the idea of a head stick much better. The idea that the idea that the hand of the puppeteer is actually like about 14 inches away from the head. It al- okay. allowed you know, the guys who ran the puppets to be a lot more comfortable and you can do a lot more controls. You know, you can do uh, the mouth with your thumb and you can have another another control with your forefinger that moves the eyes. And and so okay. all those contr- all those controls came from ventriloquism and also, um, um you know, at the beginning, my relationship with the with the robots was a lot like a ventriloquist and dummies. You know, like yeah. you know, the, they were like the rascally little. Um, they were like it's like Alvin and the Chipmunks. You know, they were oh. like up to no good, and I I had to kind of rein them in and scold them and stuff like that. So, well, character wise, they were oh, okay. Yeah, so it was kind of like that. That was kind of what was the starting place, but that all came from ventriloquism. Now, you want to hear about Nina Conti, right? How this all comes together. Um, Well, in the story of my search for the ultimate ventriloquist dummy, I was never really content with, even when I could afford an actual vent figure, as they call it in the industry, I wasn't satisfied with it. I couldn't I, I couldn't find one that I really liked. Um, and and I realized, I came up with this idea that was basically, um, you take a moving jaw and put it, bring up someone from the audience and put that on somebody. You actually put a jaw over the, 
right. over the mouth of a person. I saw her do that. Yeah. Well, you may have seen her do it, but what's what's crazy about it is it turns out that I've created ventriloquist crack because every <laughs> ventriloquist in the world does this bit now. Yeah. Um, what's funny about it is um, I I was I I had you know, made this thing. I had it in my act. This was probably around the time that I was in the Rossmore building. This is before Mystery Science Theater. And um, and I had a bunch of new stuff, probably stuff I had built in the Rossmore building, just bits and, you know, like yeah. props and, and jokes and stuff. And I, and I had a gig in L.A. to go back and perform at the Comedy Magic Club. And this moving mouth mask was was one of those things. And I also knew it was a really good idea. And I yeah. and I had it in my head like, you know, if someone wants to buy this, I'm going to sell it. And so I, right. I kind of had that with all the props I brought out. I kind of was – this is after I quit being a stand-up, had right. kind of gotten used to being in Minneapolis, had kind of started to come back to it and was going, um, yeah, I, I could – I got this idea. I think it's, you know, I think I might, I think it's a good enough idea where I could make some money on it. And, and I was doing it in the show. I'd bring up two people from the audience. I'd kind of talk to them a little bit. And then I'd put these mouths on them and I'd have them talk like doing that, you know, so I'd wow. have them talk kind of, they'd kind of parrot the stuff they just said, only I'd give them really stupid voices. <laughs> right, right. And after the show, there's this ventriloquist, a guy named Ron Lucas, who's a really good ventriloquist, like an insanely talented vent, yeah. as we like to say. And uh, <laughs> he said, I really loved what you did. I'm really interested in buying it. And I said, absolutely, it's for sale. And I quoted mm-hmm. him the highest price I could think of for a for the for a bit, you know. Right. Well, I didn't hear from him again. And, um, you know, over the years, um, I'd hear stuff. And I'd hear stuff. And ultimately, he did the right thing, and he paid me for it. Oh, good. Thank God. He did. (laughs) But I think there was enough time between... When I when he saw me when he started doing it and when he paid me mm-hmm. that there was enough discrepancy where people saw both of us doing it and when that as you know yep. you see two people doing it suddenly it's like public domain it's like now it's stock place. it's yeah. stock and so at the, uh, all it took were those like four years uh, between when I did it and when I and when he you know signed a contract and paid me for it and yeah because that's brutal man yeah and in that time it's like it exploded and it's really funny because i i it's like somewhere i read like one out of every three ventriloquists are doing that bit now it's like a standard yeah. Ventriloquist bit where you do well you do your typical ventriloquism with your dummy, but then if you're working for a company, you bring the CEO of the company up on stage and you put that mouth on them and you make Oh, that's up. that's yeah. the best corporate gig and that's the best corporate <laughs> trick in the world. Exactly. And so it's really crazy. And the only other guy that's paid for it 
was Terry Fader. Do you know who he is? No. Terry Fader's the guy who won America's Got Talent. And okay. he got this monster deal um, at the Mirage. So he's got this residency at the Mirage. And oh, wow. So he's the only other guy that's paid for it. And and, and you think that they all know where it came from? No, like, does Nina Conti probably know where it's, it is? It's in the ether. It's like... Um, you know, people emerged that said, oh, I thought of that. And people started yeah. making them and started saying, well, you know, it's just too, um, yeah, it was just too weird and too crazy. And it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like too much heat. It's very weird. Like, it, it's just like one of those funny things. And it's like, yeah. it drove, um, I think it drove, um, Ron Lucas kind of crazy in that he had he started to do a lot of lawsuits to try to stop people and it oh. just couldn't it was too late it was too it was already out there yeah. it's got to be yeah. like magic it's uh it's, it's I suppose it's like a magic trick there everybody's like it is oh. it's just like crazy like um yeah it's just one of those funny things and and um and so I, at the end of my thing that I did at Cine Family, I ran like clips like you go on YouTube and put in like ventriloquist with mouth or ventriloquist yeah. jaw or moving mouth mask. It's like you get all these things from all over the world. It's like really funny. And yeah, it was one of those. I'm, really <laughs> I'm glad you can find it funny. I know I'm super. I'm super proud of it. There's no way to. Um, you know, yeah, I think I got to exploit it for money as much as you possibly can. An idea like that. And other than that, it's it's kind of like not my problem now because I sold it to somebody. And so yeah, it's kind of like um, it's just kind of amazing to me that that was one of those ideas that just took off. I mean, I right. you know, it's just I'm I'm yes. I'm, I'm super proud of it. It's fun. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of like, and and I suppose when you create those, it's sort of like when you write a joke in in comparably is I always think to myself if somebody wants to buy a joke, I can always write another one. I could use the money. Right. And and with, I mean, but you know, I saw Nina Nina Conti do an hour. She did an hour show at Montreal in not this not this year, but the year before. So I guess 2011, and she did that piece, and she had. I haven't seen a lot of ventriloquism, but I've seen enough ventriloquism and mime and magic to be entertained and to sort of, you know, because I like it. I, I don't, I, I don't have any sort of snobbery about it or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And she had about 15 minutes that was really unique. And the jaw thing, I, I hadn't seen it before, uh, was one of the things that was unique. But she had a puppet. She had an old woman puppet that I truly enjoyed as well. But there was about 15 minutes that I felt were genuinely her. And it was weird watching the L.A. because it was Montreal, so it was an industry showcase. Yeah, yeah. And the I could see the wheels turning in the industry because she's probably 32 or 35 maybe. Yeah, yeah. And so I could see them just looking at her going, you know, she's pretty. 
She's talented, obviously. How can we get rid of the puppets? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Where you're, you're like, no, no, no. I mean, nobody to become a ventriloquist is so much work, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like be, an, a whim. You have to be born yeah. a certain way too to kind of like care. It's just like yeah. they're they're really unusual people when you meet them. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's weird. You know what? My my microphone's just kind of feeding back. I don't. Is it you're getting an echo for yeah, I'm yourself? Yeah, getting an echo. And yet you are super clear right now. Oh, good. Oh, but it's, and, and we have eight more minutes. What? Uh, oh yeah, I'll keep oh, going. That's fine. Good. Um, uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I got that feeling too. Like, like there's this like, kind of fresh, freshness about her because she's pretty. Pretty. Yeah. Most of them are men and um, uh, grizzled, grizzled men who are kind of disenfranchised from society. <laughs> It's such a solo activity, you know, to learn ventriloquism or magic or puppets, probably. I think you're right. I, I, I Especially ventriloquism, though. It, it, yeah. It's just something about it, and, and I don't know what it is, but it's in me. I, I in, I've invested I mean, a, in, in an inordinate amount of time, inordinate. There you go. An amount of time looking at images of ventriloquist dummies. I have a vast collection of eight by tens of ventriloquists. Oh, really? I, um, I, I, I could look at a ventriloquist dummy and probably tell you who made it. Uh, Wait, really? Uh, yeah. I'm, I, who are the great makers? Well, the big one was um, was a guy named Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall. Um, built Jerry Mahoney. Jerry Who Mahoney is? was um, the dummy that was Paul Winchell's dummy. Do you know who Paul Winchell was? He no. was Paul Winchell was the voice of Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. Oh. He had a okay. talking voice like this. <laughs> he said, Tigger. And, um, and uh, he was... He, he was a really was a good ventriloquist, and he had a show on the East Coast, East Coast called, uh, called something like something like um, uh, Mahoney Time or okay. Mahoney Time. And um, and and, uh, and so Frank Marshall so built his dummy, but he is also rumored that Frank Marshall made Charlie made McCarthy. So, Charlie McCarthy was a McElroy Brothers figure, but he worked at the McElroy Brothers. Uh, okay. When he when they manufactured Charlie McCarthy, and he was the guy in the back room who was actually doing the carving. So, okay. supposedly, he's the guy who's made the most, most famous dummies uh, from the last century. And supposedly, he was also a heroin addict. Oh. All right. The other thing that's peculiar, like most sculptors, uh, they tend to look, you know, when sculptors do a sculpture, they look like they're sculptures. And and Frank Marshall looked like Charlie McCarthy and Jerry Mahoney. Oh, that's interesting. They looked like them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun fact I didn't. That's, that's amazing. I wonder if Michelangelo was a super fox. 
I bet you. I bet you. I bet he must have been. Might be handy with the ladies. <laughs> Except for I believe he was a homosexual. Oh, might oh, be handy with yeah. the guys. The fellas. Uh, do you remember Albert the Alley Cat? <laughs> sure, of course. Sure. Because that was, is, is that a ventriloquist dummy or is that just a puppet? No, um, no. that was on that was the, the Tip Through the Alley show with Barbara Becker, right? Do you remember right? that? I don't. That, all, all I remember is, didn't he that, do the new, that, the weather? Yeah, that was before yeah, your time. Before you, he, he, Barbara Becker had a, Barbara Becker had a TV show that was in the mornings. Uh, no, it was called Cartoon Alley. Yeah. Cartoon Alley on Channel 6. And, okay. and, and Albert the Alley Cat was one of the puppets on that show. Um, at a certain point, she, she left. She quit doing the show. And then he appeared on Channel 6 News doing the weather with Ward Al- Albert. What, no, Ward Allen. Ward Allen. Do you remember Ward Allen? Do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm pouring more coffee. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I distracted myself. Um, yeah, uh, I've pretty much drank a half a gallon of coffee. It's good times. Uh, so cinematic Titanic is is essentially the new iteration of the riffing on movies, right? Yeah, it's the original cast from Mystery Science Theater. It's myself, Josh Weinstein, Trace Beaulieu, Frank Conniff, Mary Jo Peel. All I need is Trace, and then I can have a cinematic Titanic set. You had Frank Forest. already? I've had Frank several times. Frank and I are pretty, pretty good friends. Josh? I, I had Josh on. Josh's uh, dorkdom was that he doesn't want to be a dork, is that he's constantly trying not to be obsessed about anything. Right. He's very alert to that. <laughs> That's exactly I don't think he's going to make it, though, unfortunately. No, he has a, he's a bit of a personality that really wants to do things right. Yeah. So, yeah. He's he does got a lot of going. things right, man. He's yeah. such a big asset uh, in Cinematic Titanic. It's oh, amazing. Yeah? He can do so many things well. But the crazy thing about Josh... It's yeah. like a joke. He's actually like the he's like Maury Amsterdam, the human joke machine. He can actually yeah. if we have a hard time writing a section of cinematic Titanic, we just give it to Josh. We say, Josh, we need a joke there. And and nine times out of ten he'll come up with a kick ass joke that drops right in there. I can't do that. It's like right. I can't fabricate jokes like that. It's crazy. So, yeah, I- so. And remember when, when uh, I believe when I met him, he was like 19. Yeah, exactly. He's been really good. He's been, he's, he, that guy, he just churns out material. He just really does. I know, he's amazing. And I always go to him when I need an idea. Like I go, I, I, I kind of got an idea. I think this could kind of work. What's it, how do I exactly say it? Like, how do I do it? Right. It's like when I do openings, like I have to kind of preface the movie we're watching for Cinematic Titanic. And I was, Is it like a monologue? Yeah, a I monologue? do a little bit of talking about like beats of what, what to expect from this movie, what we know about this movie. And if I have a joke in there, I've always talking to him about it, going, how do I do this? What's the best way to do this? You know, Unless yeah, there's yeah, stuff yeah. that just drops on me and I go, oh, this is obvious. This is an easy one. I know how to do this one. Um, uh, oh, what was I doing? I was doing a joke about um, 
the guy Ted V. Michaels, the guy who made Doll Squad. And, uh, <laughs> right, you say that like you've seen Doll Squad. Right, right, sure. right yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I can't remember that. I, 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 this is the bad part is I'm not going to be able to pay this off with the joke he helped me with. It was kind of <laughs> well, like it was kind of like what did he? I think he said something like like I was talking about how. I had some analogy to him and Russ Myers. Okay. You know the filmmaker Russ Myers, right? No, no, I got nothing. Is he the guy? He's the guy who did, like, um, uh, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. Okay. Yeah, so, like, I had something, but he had a really good angle on it. I forget. I'm frustrated because I'm just forget it, but it was something like... it's like he was like, like Russ Myers without the street cred or something like that. Oh, right. But it, okay. But I don't know. It was, uh, it, but he's really great at that kind of stuff, just kind of helping me. Yeah. I, I have a question yeah. about yeah. the sheer enormity of public domain films that you've seen at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have just a, in your head a catalog of actors and directors and writers that have done other things that were amazing? Well, well, I'm not really exactly that guy. Like I, I don't, okay. I don't really collect facts on movies like like baseball players and that. yeah. I don't. I'm not really that guy. I I remember movies just kind of like as far as their the way I cat the way I categorize movies is kind of like the mood that they have and kind of the story. So I could kind of like you know okay. I kind of conjure most movies by my memory of how they feel and how they looked. You know. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I I could tell you like um, most of the time if you ran a movie for me I could probably call it and say this is a public domain movie because I've screened it right but most of the movies uh, I, yeah most of the movies are like that so I can't I have that kind of you know yeah. knowledge but I couldn't tell you the whole you know uh, no, like the cast and yeah, yeah. this stuff all their work I don't have that kind of knowledge of it but when you watch when you watch a movie, I like that. I like the idea that you sort of you 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 categorize them sort of by the visceral reaction you have to them. Yeah. Can you yeah. can you think of like four like you're watching some movie about a giant monster and you're like, ah, oh, this is this has that same feeling as three other movies from the early fifties or the yeah there well yeah. there were some I'll tell you one thing that keeps uh, appearing uh, in certain movies in certain and they were the they were. There were some of the creatures done for, um, uh, uh, oh, oh, it's a, it's an Arthur Conan Doyle, um, movie, movie, yeah, some book, some book. Not the Sherlock Holmes. No, that's the only no. one I know. <laughs> Which one is? What's this movie? Irwin Allen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, it's Irwin <laughs> Allen, and um. I'm going to get his, I'm looking at his uh, thing here, Wikipedia. Oh, okay. His first movie, or one of the first movies he made here. All right, Irwin Allen. Yeah. He, he did all the, like, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Lost in Space, Time Tunnel, Land of the Giants. Uh, okay. Yeah, and... So he's the done lost some serious. The world is what I was looking at. The lost world, and it's funny because they did all these 
special effects with real lizards, but they did things that are clearly wrong, like, like they had them on these armatures, like they'd have this like Komodo dragon or lizard that's kind of on this armature that made it look like it was standing upright. So they're actually they're actually kind of making a hybrid between a puppet and a real lizard and shaking oh. around on the set. No! And it's the same one where they'd have, like, a crocodile and uh, and kind of, like, a lizard fight each other. And they, But they were also done up with, like, fins and makeup, so they looked kind of like they had horns. And oh, so they would also, like, put, like, prosthetics on actual, like, iguanas? Yeah, they put prosthetics on on these animals, and then they'd have them fight. So it's very questionable, uh, you know. <laughs> Not and, even questionable. And those, but... and, those, and those those fight scenes, and I think that came from 20th Century Fox, but somehow those became the default kind of dinosaur footage for a while, and that made it into a lot of movies when they needed which... a dinosaur. is It's really a crocodile with, like, a fin on his head, you know, that's kind of being held up with a wire armature. So it looks like he's standing like a, it's almost like they tried to alter a crocodile yeah. looking like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know. Was that Land of the Giants, you said? What was well, it? Well, that was one of the movies they did. But, but for instance, in Time Tunnel, which was another okay. one of his series, they drop in this footage of these, like, lizards that were supposed to be dinosaurs. And this is before, you know, it was really practical to do, like, computer animation or even stop animation, right. stop motion animation in a movie. Oh. So, um... It was really be- funny. But that footage emerges <laughs> in multiple movies where they go, we need a dinosaur. How do we do it? And they they keep dropping those that same footage. Well, so I'm coming back around to your question about things that you see in a movie that are kind of repeated. Okay. Other movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of, but but the thing is, is the fact that they would actually fight, make animals fight each other, makes me think of hobo fights. <laughs> uh, it just it's, feels it's like just was like, and and they did that so much in Hollywood. They do that with like, did you know that the lion costume from The Wizard of Oz is made from a real lion skin? No, it's like that was the For world real? that we lived in back in back in those days in the forties. Making that up? Are you no. Making that up? Oh no. Yeah, it's like it just—they did crazy things to animals back in the day and on movie sets. It was just that's was really did you, terrible. Do you watch Mad Men? Yeah. Okay, I I do not because it's too much, quite honestly. Yeah. But Karen Kilgariff told me a friend of mine uh, told me friend of the show t- told me there was a scene where they go out to have a picnic at the beach and at the end of the scene he picks up the blanket they've had the picnic on and then just throws the trash all yeah, over the beach. Right, yeah. I've seen that. They was, shake the they shake the blanket and all the trash butts off and then right, right. Get in and you're like car, yeah. Oh, nineteen sixty four. I know, and it's and with animals it was just so crazy. They just like they would do um like some of my favorite movies were like um Francis the Talking Mule movies and and, oh, I love those. And they had way just like like I, I later made a short film with a talking donkey in it, and um, 
And the, the way oh, they did it. What was the name of that the, film? The day, uh, it was, uh, Statical Planets. It was a trailer for a movie that I never made, but there's a talking donkey awesome. in it, talking mule in it. And I was fascinated with how they did it. They put a rubber band on their tongue. A big rubber band on their tongue, and they're and what they're doing is trying to push the rubber band off the tongue. Yeah, uh, but there are shots in Mr. Ed where there are hooks. Uh, <gasps> there's a there's like, you know, maybe this is oh, a little side. They're just his puppeteering <laughs> animals. Puppeteering a, animals. I think they had a hook in his mouth, and they were pulling on a string, and he was like uncomfortable and like. Yeah, I was. I'm not saying it's a fish hook, but. Um, I'm saying they're pulling on a string to make him talk. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like, they're irritating an animal to to a great deal to make it do oh, stuff. Don't even get me started about Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. <laughs> that <laughs> is where the real show starts. Really? Yeah, supposedly. What did they do to Lancelot? Uh, I just, I met a producer who worked on the show, and it was just not nice. That, let's just leave it at that, you know? All right. The one yeah. I heard, you know, it just was a different time, you know? It's just like they just didn't have that consciousness about animals the way they do now. I know. They go, oh, they suffer, you know? Why would you want something to suffer right. so, you're, so you get a yeah. talking monkey on a TV screen, you know? Yeah, and it's funny how ma- how mad people get about animals when they don't get mad about like rape or racism. Yeah, I know. They're just like, ah, that's the way it was in the '30s, man. They just didn't allow black people to do things. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but what we did do is we punched this animal in the face, and like, I'm never watching that again. <laughs> you're right, <laughs> you're like, and I want to know why. Why do you think that is? Like, really, why do you think? Why do you because think that people. Is? Cruelty that people feels just organic and 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 like because people because people have a victim mentality and think well people are mean to me all the time why wouldn't why why would I be surprised that people universally were mean to a certain group of humanity but then when you think about because people anthropomorphize their dogs and cats so greatly yeah. They're just like, what? that is the only being in the world that loves me unconditionally. And so they can't possibly take the fact that someone would be mean to a cat well, or a dog. I, I, I think you're right. And I think, too, that the notion of cruelty, um, like th- this is another in- interest of mine, just because I, I stopped eating meat like three months ago. Oh, okay. But, the idea of cruelty with animals and um, and the way that, you know, for instance, you know, there's like, there's, you know, there's chickens that are supposedly free range and have like happy oh. lives and see the sun. And then there's chickens right. that are raised like they're, you know, their cages, like their catches. Yeah, their cages are stacked on top of each other and they, you know, are unhappy and they don't see the sun and they have sores and the, and yeah. the, each one of them becomes a chicken uh, McNugget. You know what I mean? Right. And so I right. think that cruelty um understanding cruelty in general to animals might be the kind of the beginning of kind of just people really like if we start to get rid of cruelty to animals it could be just kind of the tip of the iceberg to get people really like wanting to remove cruelty um 
all across the yeah. board to people, but 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 in a society where it's okay to be cruel to animals, it kind of goes right. hand in hand with oh yeah, it's okay to be that there's cruelty to people too. So it, I, I I'm starting to suspect that if we got rid of animal cruelty. The next thing on the list would be people cruelty, <laughs> you know, to, where people would just go, "Oh, come on, okay. we gotta stop this! This is ridiculous!" Like, <laughs> right? This is like I wouldn't people, treat my dog like that. Yeah, Why yeah, would I yeah. Treat it's a kind of weird, like but I, but I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like you're you, there's there's definitely a disconnect where you're kind of going, "Oh, I'm shocked at the way that." That you know that mule was treated on a movie set, but we're not concerned if you know the kind of you know cruelty that yeah. happens. You know, yeah, seventeen thousand people are in a diamond mind, and they never see the sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. And that's probably too that we're just so inundated with it that we can't really actually, you know. Yeah, it. and and there's just something about cruelty where it's just so it's uncomfortable, and you want to try to avoid it. Where a lot of us are still wanting to avoid it, and so I I have a hard time. There's a guy who lives in front of my Seven Eleven, and uh, me and him don't make a lot of eye contact. Let's just say, <laughs> right? Because uh, as much as I want to be supportive of that dude, I also don't necessarily. I mean, he lives outside, obviously, but he. What he and and he's partying and I use the term partying. What he's doing is he's dulling the pain with the buck I give him every you know couple of weeks. But it's I mean it's so weird. I I, I do dream of a of a Star Trek like non dystopian future. Yeah, I I, I don't know, but I, but I do think that it, it it's something like that. It's like somehow, if people, yeah. I think that's kind of like okay. I mean, I kind of see. I mean, as as on it as as it's disproportionate where you're kind of going. Why aren't you getting so mad about? Oh you know, right, the people that you know trafficking or you know that kind of stuff, and and you just go. Um, it could be the beginning of that where people just, you know. Okay. Yeah. Look at you, glass half full. Good I for you. I think that I get that feeling. I never have said this to anybody else, but I've been thinking about it. I like it, Joel yeah, Hudson. I think it's the beginning of kind of like if people start start kind of going, yeah, I don't want any cruelty. How can we avoid <laughs> right. that? Yeah, just all, across the board. Yeah, let's just go for it. I mean, kind of. Why not? Joel Hodgson, it has been an hour, and I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, This has been amazing. Oh, thank you very much. It was so much fun. All right. Keep tuning in, people. You've done vital work. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance, then it sounds like a Mexican hat dance. It's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. We, why don't we just call that as the end of the show?